Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Uh, Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where... We are perhaps the only cafe that won't be shut down to do due to COVID restrictions, <laughs> and uh, that's important to me. I actually just got my booster today, so uh, we're recording days nice. before I feel the symptoms. Yeah, um, but uh, but thank you everybody for tuning in. Thanks to all of our caffeinators for your continued support of our podcast and for repping our merch and and patreonizing <laughs> us i don't really know ah, what other okay. word they use but i'm, I'm going with that coin a phrase uh, let's coin a phrase yeah yeah and just continuing to download our episodes and, and subscribing to all our channels we really appreciate it if you're a new listener to our podcast we're so stoked you're here today you can head over to vettechcafe.com for for all of the info of everything i just mentioned but uh, but we're really stoked you guys are here so dave how's it going out there what's on your mind uh, it's going good out here. We are tomorrow is uh, a charity that we work with called Beyond Fences. We provide fencing for them. Uh, Robin and I haven't done that in quite a long time, but we we still support them. It's a charity for for dogs in in the Durham area that uh, are are outside and oftentimes they're on chains and you know just kind of tied up outside. Which you know instead of doing that, uh, what this charity does is they go in and they they provide fencing for them so they they show up on a saturday or a sunday and they just build a fence uh so the dogs don't need to be chained up and what we do in the winter usually the first weekend in january is we go and we bring hay to stuff inside of those dog houses that we have for them uh so that they stay warm through the through the winter i mean we're in north carolina so it doesn't get quite as cold as it does up north but it does get down in the into the into the low 20s so uh that that will help out some of these dogs so it's it's a good little charity event that we like to take part in every year that's awesome yeah and that's that's heyday right that what you're doing i mean we're distributing we're distributing straw but it's called heyday yeah. because yeah straw yeah, day just sounds kind of silly <laughs> That's all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's awesome. You've mentioned that before. I think yeah, you've done that yeah, previously. We do that every I year. A, I think that's a really, really cool idea. And then uh, you know, we came across this this article. I, I happened to see this on the the Veterinary Nurse Initiative or the VNI Facebook page. Yeah. But I think you had said this was also in the Nav to Journal. Was it was. That right? Yeah. That, that you got emailed. So the the article is titled "Why Title Change Is the Path to Profession Change." And it's by Leslie. And I, Leslie, I know you're listening. I'm probably going to mispronounce <laughs> your last name, and I apologize. But I'll say Waresack, who's an LVMT and a VTS and ECC at University of Tennessee. Wonderful, wonderful person. We've actually been talking about having her on the yeah. on an episode down the road. But what did you think of the article? I, I had you give it a gander, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Well, as we as we go through this, you know, and the VNI is, is such a polarizing topic, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's something mm-hmm. that you're either very much for it, very much against it. And, you know, the, the the big thing that is what 
differentiates where you stand on the side of the issue is the title change. The title, yeah. You know, and, and I, I've, I've never really like formally said, definitely we need to be technicians. We definitely need to be nurses. I'm more interested in all the other things in the VNI than mm-hmm. than, the, For sure. than the than the title change itself. Um, but she does make some very good points in here. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I one of the first things that grabbed my attention was that when you think of a nurse, you think of somebody with an educated degree, right? Right. With a technician right. that, and she lists all the other things that can be technicians. Like you can have an right. automotive technician that doesn't necessarily have a degree, um, yeah. just something that the, a skill that they've picked up and that now they're a technician. So, right. you know, she does make some good points about why the title change is going to help out. I don't know if that's like swayed me to the point where I'm like, yeah, we definitely need to be, yeah. need to be nurses now. But it, it does make a good point that there is some validity to 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 the title change. Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing that struck me as well was she talks about in 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 a human setting, mm-hmm. a doctor is the doctor, there's no question about that. In a veterinary right. setting, the veterinarian is the doctor, right? We we still refer to as a, a veterinarian as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, same thing. It, it's that that education like you described in the human setting when you say nurse, you know what that nurse is, and you like you're you're describing. You have that that educational component. But when you say technician, not anybody really knows what that means, right. and what you know what is the definition of that scope. And and I think really, I, I don't know if if it was purposeful that that she wrote this or or not. But I think for me, one other thing is is her being in Tennessee. She's an LVMT, right? Licensed veterinary medical technician, which I think Tennessee is the only state that uses I, that I think designation. So, too, yeah. so it, it's like another one of those those subtle things that you know. So here is somebody that is from a state that, much like in in the the veterinarian realm, where you Penn graduates are VMDs, which I still don't really understand. I don't understand DVM. why they do that. You know, in Tennessee, they're LVMTs, which is their own designation, and it to me that's just another just another subtle part to this that you know. I, 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 I'm not clinical anymore, so you know, I when I was in academia, my my thought was 100% what I am doing is veterinary nursing. Yeah. I, I didn't do, I didn't take X-rays, I didn't do cohats or any of those other things that the argument for technician could be made. Now I, I'm a remote employee for the Animal Poison Control Center, but even our veterinarians, we refer to it as still practicing. They're 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 consulting on clinical toxicology, and so. You know, I just think that I I lean more that direction. I understand the the angst and the trepidation, trepidation and all of the discussion and and like you're saying the polarization, but everything else, and especially for me and really for you, you're in the same boat. Reciprocity is yeah yeah is I know we all get we get drawn into the to the title change, but I really wish we could push the focus. And the title change is going to be the make it or break it thing, but. What gets lost is all of that other important stuff that it hopes to do. So really interesting article. I thought there was a lot of great points in here and, and kudos to Leslie for yeah. for writing that and putting that out there. But Well, and also just just putting herself out there on such a yeah, for sure. topic is <laughs> – For sure. For know? sure. And just you know, a lot of things to think about. And I think if, if, we, if we think about it critically, uh, there are a lot of points to it that are hard to argue. I, I get the, the financial aspects of it. I get the reasons to be against it. But – it's also hard to argue against some of those points, in, in my opinion. But I think one of the things that is going to help a lot of this, and it, it's probably the biggest obstacle, is to get all 50 states unified to yeah. say 
the VTE passes you for your right. technician or nursing or, or what have you. But I don't want to say take it out of the state's hands, but have it be unified so that there yeah. is no question. Right, right. And then, and, then, and then deal with the scope of practice in every state. But I mean, right. Because yeah. that, that difference in what human nurses can do, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I'm guessing there are subtle differences state to state on what nurses do in the human field. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I guess I I probably shouldn't make that comment because I I don't know if that's true or not. But I would imagine there there's probably something that nurses in Tennessee cannot do here in North Carolina and vice versa. But yeah. getting getting the the entire profession unified, I think, is the is the biggest thing to do to get any of these things done. It it really is. And if you think about it, over half of the states are going to have to change their name anyway. It with, even if it's to RVT. However many states are still, you know, like, is it going to be this state doesn't want to change from CVT to RVT anyway? Like, right. you know, so whether we all 50 states change to one designation or even if it's not RVN, if it's something completely different or otherwise, over half the states are going to have to change to RVT or CVT or LVT. Like, or is Tennessee going to clamor to stay LVMT and be unique. Like, I, right. I don't know. And I think that's the, the frustrating part to this, but at some point, like we're a, we're a family show, so I won't use the correct <laughs> phrase, but it's, it's either do this or get off the pot. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that at some point, like we need to just come together and move in a common direction. And yeah. from where I sit to me and, and what I've seen in, in my career, this is the most favorable direction that I've seen. So pick, pick one, pick one, <laughs> pick one, pick you know, one. Like, like, in... like we always say, we don't yeah. care what you call us. Just don't call us late for dinner. That's right. <laughs> when I, I, I often, when people ask me about it, I go back to what you said, you know, back when you were in the ICU, you've never teched a patient back to health. You've always nursed them back to health. So I, I kind of go, go yeah. with that on the pro side of being called nurses, but you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could we yeah. could talk about this the entire we could we time, could so. we could we have but we have a we have an incredible guest <laughs> yes, waiting in the wings so we we should not uh, delay anymore. <laughs> uh, we're we're, uh, we're we're really excited to have um, Terry Kleist coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Terry graduated from the Madison Area Technical College Veterinary Technician Program. That's a mouthful. In May 1981, um, after a year in mixed practice in Oregon, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. I knew I was going to screw that up, but Oregon, <laughs> Wisconsin. Terry moved to Indiana for a position at the Small Animal Surgery Department at Purdue University and then returned to the what was then the new uh, vet school at University of Wisconsin in Madison in 1983. Then moved into a, a part-time teaching role at the same school she graduated from. Um, Dave, which you and I have done, the mm -hmm. teaching side of things too, yep. very, very rewarding. And then is also a largely what we're going to talk about today. She's a charter member of the AVST or the Academy of Veterinary Surgical Technicians, so VTS surgery, and also has done much committee work for that academy. Um, again, Dave, you, you and I, that's near <laughs> yeah. and dear to our hearts. Doing it right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so has been very, very active active with that and now just recently accepted the position of the technician session program chair for ACVS, which is the annual surgical conference. Lives in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. Terry, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. We really appreciate your time. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And do I have to leave if I don't drink coffee? 
Because I don't. No, we, no, we've no had, not. <laughs> we've had a few that, that don't drink coffee. That, that's we can, perfectly fine. We can get fine. you a cup yeah. of tea. We can just get you yeah. a cup of water, whatever yeah. you would like. Yeah, if you've got some peach tea, that would be absolutely my favorite. Or a Diet Pepsi. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Cup of tea. Coming right okay. up with the peach tea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if you, uh, if you don't mind, um, take us through your career path. I, I kind of hit a couple of the highlights there, but just talk about what got you into veterinary medicine in the, in the first place, some, some highlights along the way up to what you're doing now and we'll go from there. Well, certainly. And I just want to start off by saying that I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And of course, anything that can promote specialties in our profession is is very near and dear to my heart as it is for you too. And mm-hmm. the fact that this is not an interview because that's intimidating, but a conversation <laughs> is enlightening. So I appreciate We're just talking. Yes, we're just, we're talking. just talking. Yeah, we're just talking. We're going to ask you questions, yeah. but it's just meant to have a discussion right. as Perfect. well. <laughs> and no one would ever say I'm short on words. So cut me off whenever you need to. We don't Love cut me. anyone off. No. <laughs> well, we have no time limit. <laughs> perfect. Um, that's a dangerous statement. No, I um, <laughs> I was not one of those little girls that wanted to save every baby bird and every little rabbit or anything, but I loved animals. And we had a hunting dog, my dad, dad and that was it. I didn't grow up on a farm, even though I'm from Wisconsin or anything like that. But um, animals have already always been dear to my soul. So when I was in high school, I was thinking about marine biology. But there's not a lot of dolphins in Wisconsin, so that kind of went out the door. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I could go in the Army. They have, you know, the veterinary corps and the horses and the dogs and whatever. And then I thought, that means getting through basic training. So that went out the door. Then I thought about going to vet school. And at that time, there was no veterinary school in Madison so or in Wisconsin. So there would have been Minnesota, Iowa, you know, all our surrounding states had them. But then that meant getting through organic chemistry. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like that is the class that's a roadblock oh, for so many people. Oh, yeah. And I'm such, a, I'm such a weakling. I didn't even try it. But anyway, point is, my school counselor, God lover, the only thing she ever did for me in my four years in high school was tell me about the program at Madison College. And actually, at that time, it was the animal technician program. That's how old I am. And uh, <laughs> so I applied for that. And I was, you know, I was an honor student in high school. and I didn't have a problem with, with grades. And I loved learning. But I was actually waitlisted to get into the program because my chemistry scores were not, in their eyes, high enough. And so they thought they'd take a chance on me because there were some openings. So I started the program actually two days late. So, you know, I didn't have my books. I didn't have the readings. I was, it was catch up right away. That was just more of a reason for me to prove them wrong. You know, I'm going to fight even <laughs> harder just to make sure I don't flounder at all. Love it. Yeah. But I I was active in school, in our student club and, and what have you. And, and as you already said, I worked in private practice in Oregon for a year right after school. It was a mixed practice, so I did go out with the large animal veterinarians um, when I wanted to, and this is the way it worked. I would work Monday through Saturday, and then the next week you'd work Monday through Thursday. So if Friday I wanted to go out with them, I could go for no pay and just learn, you know, be be a worker yeah. but not get yeah. paid. And, and because I was 20, right. I said, well, sure. So um, <laughs> I did that. <laughs> And learned a lot. It was very good. And we had very limited large animal exposure in school. So it was it was a good thing to do. But after a year of small animal clinic, I just thought, mm, 
there's got to be more than fleas and ticks. And I love the <laughs> vaccines. Yes, yes. And, and this particular <laughs> clinic was quite progressive at the time with surgeries. And that was really where I was drawn. So I found the opening at Purdue and moved down there and met some great friends and worked there for a year. And the whole intention, I had this this plan that I knew the vet school was starting in Madison. And if I got experience at another vet school, I'd be more likely to be accepted for a job at our new vet school. And in my mind, that was going to be a two or three year plan. Well, everything accelerated and I only wound up working at Purdue for one year and then secured a job at the new school here and loved, 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 loved my time at the veterinary school. Just the cases and that level of medicine that was so new at that time, because there was no such thing as specialists for technicians. And I mean, I didn't even know there were specialists as veterinarians. I didn't know there were diplomat surgeons and diplomat internists and different things. So the learning curve was was steep, but it was amazing. And I fell into the role of um, the lead surgery tech, and I was the primary scrub nurse, as much as I don't like to use that term, but let's not go there. <laughs> scrub, yep, yep. <laughs> scrub nurse for the total hips. So, um, and, and I loved all of that. And then in 1991, at the Madison College had a position open, and I actually was a part-time teacher while I was employed full-time there. So I started out full-time as, I mean, and the titles have changed for everybody, instructor assistant, instructional assistant, lab coordinator, senior lab, I mean, on and on. If I did the same <laughs> thing. They just called me something different. Yeah, oh, yeah. But um, sounds about yeah. right. Yep. And all those changes came with a pay oh, raise, right? Absolutely. <laughs> right. And and more more opportunity to delegate the work and not have to do it all yourself. Yes, definitely. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as I wound up my career there, I I was a lead laboratory coordinator, which found me not in the labs so much with the students, although I could help them if they had had you know questions or problems or whatever, or I could sub if the other technicians were not available. But it was more behind the scenes. I did all the management of the animals that we had on campus. We had all of the animals that we used in our teaching were on campus. So we had everything from mice to horses. And so their oh, wow. husbandry and nutrition and supervising the animal caretakers, which were students in the program, helping with emergencies, ordering and supply maintenance and things like that. So I, I love education and COVID for as ho- as much as it's been a horrendous thing for everyone really was kind of the tipping point for me. So I decided, yeah, in September of 2021 to retire. But I've got 40 years as a vet tech and I'm not done yet. So, you know, it's time for a change. So <laughs> that's where you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I love that because I think if I'm not mistaken, you might be the, the second or third person we talked to, Dave, you might have a better idea that's actually like retired as a veterinary technician, gone through a career yeah. and retired, not changed careers right. and gone into something else. And I think for so many of us, we talk about the shelf life of technicians being five to seven years. That's pretty well documented. But but that that there are actually positions out there that technicians can make a, a you know a career length commitment to and actually retire as a veterinary technician. Right. I think for some technicians in practice is such like a abstract, <laughs> not possible idea and. I, I love that that you have done that, and and those that 
have been in that position to be able to do that, I'm blown away by. I, th- I think the, the key to that is, is the change. When, when we talked to Harold, he had been in one position and moved on mm-hmm. and, and done yeah. a different thing and done, done a different yeah. thing. And, and like with Terry, I, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like you've bounced around a little bit because what happens when you stay in one spot for the same job yeah. for such a long period yeah. of time? You get bored and then it's not fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, and really, those are the. I mean, there probably are others out there, but the, the academic institutions, like they have retirement in place yeah. mm-hmm. that general practices don't down the street, you know, don't have in terms of four hundred one as and four hundred three bs and all of those yeah. kinds of right. things. Like that's kind of in ingrained in that institution, and I, I think I didn't realize that was even a thing really till I went to Tufts and was actually in it for a little while that I, I worked with so many people that I'm like, these people are going to retire from here. And that's, that's just mine. It was mind blowing yeah. to me. I, I, I love that, that, that you've been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the majority of people, they don't retire. They just, they move on to something else. Right. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they're moving on to other technician jobs or in other hospitals or departments, but they're not actually accumulating retirement. Right. 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 In many cases. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yep. Yeah. Well, and I, I've been very blessed in my in my career that um, Madison College was extremely supportive, um, at least administratively, not so much with some of the veterinarians I worked with. But when I was pursuing, <laughs> you know, like I, I was president of NAVTA and I was um, the chairperson of the VTNE committee through AAVSB and all of those things, trying to show our students opportunities that you have as a technician, regardless of where you work. But, you know, they need private practice technicians on the CT committee through the AVMA. And um, I I don't know if I had been in practice that that would have been a possibility. And that's a shame, understandable, right. but a shame. So a lot, I do owe a tremendous debt to to the path I took because it allowed me to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do and then was able to do. Right. And I think another thing I just kind of thought of when, as you're explaining this, the, the fact that the opportunity that's available to, to technicians, mm-hmm. a lot of times that's not communicated to them through schooling or, or anywhere. So that's why, I mean, it makes sense that the lifespan of a technician is five to seven years. If I was stuck at one job. If I was stuck at my first job for five to seven years and said that this is it, mm-hmm. I'd be out of the profession too. But realizing that there's other things out there. And I think, Jeff, this is one of the main reasons we're doing this entire podcast, mm-hmm. yeah. not just this episode, but the whole the whole show is that there are things out there that people don't realize are available. And yeah. the fact that you you were able to find them, I think, is great. And yeah. you know, I, I, w- I would attribute – my longevity to the fact that I've have done so many different things mm-hmm. in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And to your point too, Terry, I think is as terrible as COVID has been for so many people. I think it's also hopefully maybe a little bit of a, of a blessing that I think a lot of people are starting to really reimagine what they can do in a career. And there are starting to be remote positions right. available and, other things that that wouldn't have been available 10 years ago even five years ago mm-hmm. we we would have laughed yeah. at the idea of working from home as a veterinary technician. <laughs> right right again may, maybe it's just my rose my maybe my glasses are especially <laughs> rose colored today but but you know hopefully otherwise like what, what what's been the point if we haven't really learned how to do things differently mm-hmm. what's been the mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. exactly yep you know with your longevity and, and your where, where you came from even before jeff and i were in the field you know, you, you've spanned quite a few years. You, you know, you said you, you got your start in 81, which, 
you know, most of our listeners were not even alive. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, for saying that. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) But I I mean, I've I've gone through down that path with with when I was teaching with my students to like, oh, my God, you were alive in the 70s. Um, (laughs) But as as you've kind of gone through this profession over, over the years, what do you see is going on right now? What is what is right about the profession? What is wrong about the profession? What do we need to fix? And what do we need more of? Oh, I know that's a very and, loaded oh, question. Oh, my God. <laughs> talk about what you could talk about for 100 years. Um, yeah. I, I was contemplating this, and I have a very wishy-washy Charlie Brown answer, and that I think it's on a mixed <laughs> path. I, I love that we've made such great strides with the specialties, and it makes me giggle that there's now a specialty in general practice, because when I was the, tech, when I was the president of DAVTA, they petitioned for recognition. And I said, no, you can't be a specialist in everything if you're in practice. You know, I just, they hadn't refined their explanation of how that would work, but I'm glad that they pursued it and continued on and persevered and, and got it through. I'm thrilled that NAFTA is back on track after the terrible episode that they went through. I don't know how many people are aware of everything that happened with NAVTA and they had a very difficult time with their leadership and the direction and the finances of that group. And I'm just mm-hmm. really happy. It turned a lot of people away um, and especially people of my era, but now they seem mm-hmm. to be back on track. And I'm really happy because we do need a national group for all of us. You know, I mean, it's Absolutely. really important that they're strong and that they're supportive and the states have someone to go to and they're they're appearing to be more like that now. So I'm very happy to see that. On the other end of the spectrum, again, I've been doing this for 40 years and we're still talking about low pay and underutilization. Seriously? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's getting yeah. really old. Really, really old. Yeah. I think that I've noticed a little bit more, and I think it's mostly because of the pandemic, just the general lack of respect for how hard everyone is working. And I mean, teachers, I any other profession in addition to veterinary medicine, people in general are just so crabby and so mm-hmm. mean sometimes, and that doesn't help things. So I'm, I'm sad that so many people have to put up with so much disrespect um, on a daily basis, either from coworkers or from clients. But I think there's a desperate need for education of society of what veterinary technicians are. And I know we don't want to get into the BNI, and I'm, I definitely know where I stand, and I'm sure you guys can figure that out by now. But um, <laughs> I just think if pet owners and in general, society understood the education that technicians have and are required to have, the credentialing and the licensure, that mm-hmm. what we're called is really inconsequential. As long as people know what we do and the vast depth and breadth of the things that we do, yes, nursing is super important and a lot of what we do, but for just a moment, we also dispense medications. We also take radiographs. We also clean teeth. I mean, you know, and, and we're not looking to be called mm-hmm. veterinary hygienists. And, right. But but they're radiology techs and they're pharmacy techs. Yeah. So I, it's, I agree. I can see all of the arguments. And again, I, I there's a different word for us. I just don't know what that word is. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. it, um, 
I think it, the education, if all the effort and energy and finance that's going into some of the other things could be geared towards pet owner and societal education, the rest of it would all work out. But yeah, but that's a great, it's a great point. That's a it's a really great point. And the yeah, the other thing about the profession that I just see, and for those you guys have been in academia too, you have to teach them more with less time and less resources, and it's kind of degrading the education that we do give them. It's, I don't think we're doing as good a job as we could be if we didn't have all these rules. And I'm specifically talking about in my school when we had been at 72 credits for an associate degree for 100 years. I mean, that was what it was, 72. Well, then the state education board or the technical school board or whoever they, whoever they are, decided that that was too many credits for students to pay for. So then they took it to 64 and then they took it to 60. But they still have to have their general education classes. So right. so what am I cutting out? Fluid therapy? What right. am I cutting out? Anesthesia? Right. Yeah. You know, it's really yeah. hard to get them prepared with the time that we have in a two-year program. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I even think it, I, I was only in academia for four years in my time at Tufts. I honestly think the same for veterinary students oh, yeah. for DVMs. Like what we try to cram into four years, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. The uh, my my Dave Robin is a vet. Uh, Molly is a vet. Um, she was in school when when I was at Tufts. I was blown away the volume of of class not not classwork of of classes yeah. and the amount of knowledge they tried to cram in in four years and and really. I guess really the the classroom is only at least a tough two and a half years. And then they start clinical rotations. The amount they tried to cram in, in such a short period of time, I I was just like, what on earth are we Mm -hmm. doing? It's no (laughs) wonder that when they hit the clinic floor for the first time, or probably when they graduate and hit the the actual floor for the first time, they're like a deer in the headlights because yeah. yeah, the information might be in there, but they didn't really, they, they, they crammed it in for an exam on Friday and there's an exam every Friday right, and right. then it's gone because they're learning something else. Right. And I, I was just blown away at the entire process. And and I've said this before and I won't go down this rabbit hole, but I've said so many I th- problems, I think, even that relate to our profession as veterinary technicians originate with the way veterinary academia is laid mm-hmm. out. And, and and I think that that translates to them too, and it just makes it really tough. Oh, right. I mean, well, and I th- I was listening to your conversation with Liz, and I I think she said something about you know they, which one the, the latest one <laughs> in October from October. Um, she's just hysterical, but um, yeah. she is. You expect them to come out and be business people and know how to utilize technicians and know how and they and they don't because they don't get any of that in veterinary school either. So you're right. I mean, it's. They're trying to be seven different professionals in one body, and I agree. It's it, the whole the whole picture is overwhelmed. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Well, and also, I mean, we can we can if you want to jump down another rabbit hole, we can <laughs> jump down the fact that not just in the veterinary field, but in the in the entire college system, the gen eds mm-hmm. like yeah. I I understand that they should know medical math. I understand that they should know how to communicate, um, mm-hmm. but like an entire English class and like advanced math classes mm-hmm. like if we could like condense that into like here's how you write a, a paper or here's right. how you write a research yeah. article mm-hmm. uh, right and and not spend an entire semester on the quadratic equations like right i mean 
you took yeah. algebra in high school, right? To to get to this point, <laughs> right. or or even in your undergrad, why why are we why are we still dealing with this stuff now? Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like that that's something that I mean that that's a much larger grand scale problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Not that's <laughs> not something the veterinary community is right. going to fix. It's... Right? Oh no, I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> I, I saw somebody say that like like um, high school is there for general education and college is for specialization. Oh. Why are we still teaching general education in college? Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting mm-hmm. point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, that's my soapbox. Yeah, <laughs> so Terry, we'll start going down the the surgery route here, just because that's what we we want to spend a good part of the uh, episode on today. So what first? What brought you? towards surgery what what gravitated you towards that and then we're going to kind of go from there into specialization and what have you but first what brought you to surgery i loved my anatomy class when i was in college it was my favorite class it was something that came easy enough to me um the instructor that i had is actually then wound up being a co-worker of mine at the program and i i loved anatomy and actually would have been like a necropsy technician or pathologist or something like that but it was the formalin i'm like oh my god i can't breathe this all day (laughs) (laughs) and surgery was the next best thing so like i said my first practice was pretty progressive in it and then the position at purdue was in the surgery department so it kind of it all just kind of fell into place. You know, it's interesting you say that with, with anatomy because I, it's something I never would have thought about, but my my wife absolutely loved anatomy. I think she'll still to this day say it was her favorite class in vet school, which I think for a lot of people, especially if any of you in academia, you have an entire first year of, of, of anatomy as a veterinary student, and you either love it or you hate right. it. You either have to get through <laughs> it or, or it's it's actually going to determine your career path to some degree. Mm-hmm. And they they always say if you're really good at anatomy, you're either headed for surgery or pathology. Oh. So it's oh. really interesting <laughs> to hear you say that. And and for my wife, the very same mm-hmm. thing. She when she was de- deciding whether or not she wanted to do a residency, it was either going to be pathology or or surgery, and she ultimately decided against both. Oh. But it's it's so funny <laughs> to hear you say that because because I I had never really heard that until I mm-hmm. got to Tufts. But but sure enough, every every surgery resident I talked mm-hmm. to anatomy was there. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's such a foundational, I mean, for every area of veterinary medicine, if you don't understand the physiology and the anatomy, you can't help the animal. You have, whether it's drugs or respiration or, I mean, anesthesia, whatever, it all factors in. And Terry, you were part of the creation of the Academy of Veterinary Technicians Surgical? Right. How how do we say that? Veterinary Surgical Technicians. Veterinary Surgical surgical Technicians. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did that go? When, When did that start out and... Where did that formation idea come from? Well, I'm going to give a shout out to a technician named Kevin Benson. I don't know if he's, I've never met him. He's, I don't know if he's even in the field anymore, but he had started in 2007 and had submitted a petition, but then had to resign due to a change in his work situation. I was not part of that. I don't know really anybody who was, but um, Heidi Rice Lamke, another charter member, had been in touch with Kevin and she kind of picked up where he left off. So in Mm -hmm. October of 2008, we had a meeting at the ACVS Surgical Summit because they've always had a technician's program, but we kind of, anybody who's interested, let's come meet at, you know, at the bar or whatever and talk about what we can do. And so there were six of us that started the group and it was Kim Schmidt. She's in Colorado and Heidi is in Michigan. Susan Holland is in Michigan 
Daniel Browning's in Tennessee and Tanya Niles is in North Carolina. And we all sat around and said, this is absolutely what we want to do. We all had a love of surgery. Most of us were working in surgery at the time. So we took what Kevin had submitted and then what NAFTA had returned and we resubmitted it in April of 2009 and they sent it back <laughs> and we resubmitted, <laughs> we resubmitted in September of that year. And then in December of 2009, we got our final um, recognition and approval. What was the, what was the reasoning behind sending it, sending it back? I, you know, I can't remember all of that, but if I dug through my history files here, I'm sure I would find it. But, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if we didn't best, if our skills list wasn't well enough defined for them, if our constitution had issues, if I can't remember what it was. And we had, I do remember struggling to think, well, what is it that they want from us? You know, we're following what we think are the rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It really doesn't help when you say it's not right. Well, thank you, right. but yeah. what yeah. do you need? Right. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a bit of a struggle, but we figured it out and we got, we got it through. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. I'd uh, I'd actually like to give a huge shout out to to Heidi Rice Lampke because she put us in touch with yeah, you yeah. Uh, for for this interview and and so thank you very much to her and uh, and Kevin Benson if you're out there we're we're gonna try to find yeah. you to say <laughs> also yeah, thank, thank you, you from from a a b s t I'm curious you know one of the uh, we talked to to Harold Davis recently who was part of forming the the VTS and ECC mm-hmm. uh, Academy the the first one and we asked him if there was any resistance that he encountered with his group through that process. And so I kind of want to ask you the same Mm -hmm. thing. Did you guys have any resistance as you were starting to kind of come together as a group and say, you know what, this is what we want to do. Let's pick this up and and submit. Did you have any resistance from, from surgeons or from other veterinarians that you had to overcome? You know, not really. I think we, because this, the summit, the surgical summit, always had a technician program. There was already a pool of people who loved surgery. So when we decided and finally got organized, reaching people who would be interested in joining the academy was kind of done for us because we would just go to all the technicians that went to the summit. And I think this is true of all diplomats in any college. I, I don't know others because I've only worked with surgeons, but at that level, they're practicing a different kind of medicine than they are in general practice. And I and I don't I don't know how if I'm going to say this, so I don't offend anyone, and I certainly don't mean to. But when you're at a higher level of practice with bigger equipment and and more severe disease and different things like that the veterinarians understood the value of a specialist technician. They're like, I I can trust this person to do what I need to get done. And not that in general practice, they don't trust their techs. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if in practice, a veterinarian wanted to do a fracture repair, but hadn't done that many of them, how comfortable would he or she be with the technician being able to help as much as we as specialists do, mm. you know, I mean, and I think it's true yeah. in internal medicine and in cardiology and mm-hmm. in all of them mm-hmm. that when you have a specialist technician, no, we're not veterinarians. We don't want to be veterinarians, but, but we do have that advanced knowledge that how could you yeah. possibly resist us? We're here to help you right. and help the animals. Right. So, and when we looked for um, consultants for our exam questions and things, it was, it was not a problem. I think we had nine surgeons that volunteered right away and said, well, I'll help, I'll help. This is a great idea. So we were very lucky. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Yep. Well, I think that just goes back to tech utilization. Like like you said, right. in, a, in a general practice setting, and when I was a young baby tech, I, 
I was helping my doctors out with fracture repairs, even though I had no idea what I was looking right. at. Right. And if they had somebody of a VTS level, I think that would be so much easier for them just to, I don't know, to say they don't feel so alone, but to feel like there's a team right. involved instead mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. the doctor and yeah. nobody else. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, should we take a little break now? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we? We'll, uh, we'll take a little break here, pay a couple bills, and we will be right back, caffeinators. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the VetTech Cafe, where we have taken social distancing to an extreme level. Uh, yes. Terry, we just came out of the break with our with our BetterHelp ad. Looking back on your career, how how did you manage your mental health? How did you stay stay grounded and stay focused um, during your career, or or did you even have any mental health issues? In hindsight, I can say yes, I did. At the time, I don't think I knew about it. Yeah, unless yeah, like yeah. the last couple of years, I think became as you get older, you become more aware of those things. Yeah. When I was younger, I had three young children and my life. I mean, I thought about the animals when I left work, but I had three kids at home and I had to focus on them and the house and whatever. So really tried to disconnect. And as a surgery tech, I have been on call for almost my entire career. So <laughs> Ooh, wow, yeah. At, at the vet school, it was, you know, one week a month and one weekend a month. And when I was at Madison College, uh, as the lead supervisor, it was every other weekend for, you know, not 30 mm. years, but every other weekend for five or seven years. But I, I have to admit that I didn't do a very good job of it. I implore the technicians in that are working now to to be better at that than those of us who have been around so long. We didn't have any resources. We couldn't, we didn't have anywhere to turn. And I am the victim of two failed marriages. And I'm sure that's because of the stress of my job. But we are a rare breed as veterinary technicians. And we can't just turn it off when you leave the leave right. the clinic. You, I mean, I that's have true. brought dogs home with me and slept on the floor with them. I have, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's gone in on days when I wasn't even working just to check to make sure everybody was okay. You, you can't get it out of your soul. And it is important to have a balance. So people need hobbies, they need exercise, they need good eating habits and all of that. And they also need to be able to recognize that if they're not getting balance in their life, that they need to stop and make a balance because it'll lead mm, to yeah. bad things. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I think back, you know, it's very hard when you're dealing with like burnout or compassion fatigue. It's very hard in the moment to realize you're in it. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, how many times have, have you thought back to, you know, a past job or a past situation like, oh, that was that was what I was dealing with. And mm-hmm. when you're in it, it, it's really hard to recognize right. it. But but I think that that may be changing. Mm-hmm. I hope that's changing that that people yeah. now, you know, mental health is, is in such a such a forefront in, in society today. And even in this podcast that I, I hope that people can recognize the signs of burnout and compassion fatigue yeah. before they get to the point where, you know, they become suicidal or they become right. right. So, so focused at, at, at on getting out. Right, yeah. Right. yeah, at a crisis yeah. point, exactly. Yeah. Yep. I think it's a lot more accepted to be able to say, I, I can't handle this anymore. You yeah. Know, you, you yeah. felt like I sure you couldn't say so. that before, but now you can say, no, I, need, right. I need to step back or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget. And, and I don't think he, my dad has the, has any, probably any recollection of this conversation. But I remember he called me one day. I was leaving one job to go to another job at the time. Of course, I was much younger, but I was working for veterinary technician jobs, not because I needed the money. I was loving what I was doing. And I was working three nights a week, which is full-time emergency, but that was only three nights. And I had lots of days (laughs) off. So one day was at a discount spay and neuter. Mm -hmm. And I taught at the school I graduated from and was still doing one shift a week at the general practice I started at. And and he said, you know, you 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 got to be careful. Life is going to pass you by. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he he told me how he regretted, you know, not being able to go to some of my school functions or what have you because he worked so much. And and I didn't even really think about it at the time because I was so young and just in it and loving it. And then I I think about it now and I think like how much of my career and and Dave, some of the struggles we've talked about on this podcast that you and I have had have been because of that time working four jobs yeah. seven days yeah. a week for however yeah. long I did that. Like, it just. But like you said, it's Terry, it's so hard to turn mm-hmm. off. It's Dave, like you just said, it's so hard to recognize it when you're in it. And, and man, I just mm-hmm. hope people are doing it better today. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we also have to stop glorifying the overworking. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I remember, yes. I remember back when I was working, I was only working two jobs and there was a time where I was, I worked like 28 days in a row mm-hmm. working yeah. at a GP and working at emergency because they needed me at the emergency. Yeah. So I, I filled in and, you know, being proud of the fact that I'd worked yeah. four straight weeks in a row. Yeah. Like I, I think back to that and I'm like, that was dumb. Mm-hmm. That was just dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard. Not only to do anyway. it, but to, to be proud of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, the AVTS. Um, so AVST. Yeah. AVST. <laughs> AV- AVTS is where I work. Yeah. <laughs> she is AVTS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is AVTS yes, yes, for AVST. Yes, yes. <laughs> AVST. Throw those letters around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> What does your application process look like? What like what's on your skills list? I, I I think sometimes about oftentimes I'll admit this I get anesthesia and analgesia uh, VTSs mm-hmm. confused with surgery technicians because mm-hmm. they're usually working in the same department. Yeah. So I oftentimes get those confused. Right. So what what sets you guys apart? What do you what do you guys do that's different? That's um that's a that's a great point and and I made a note of that. But our application is very similar to I mean emergency and critical care was the you know, the brainchild that started all of us off. The blueprint, yes. yeah. So we've used a lot of the same types of, of templates and, and requirements that they have. Currently, we have a five-year requirement of working in a specialty area, which is surgery, um, at least 75% a week. So 
that does get to be a challenge for some technicians because they're like, oh, well, I was running the anesthesia and then I opened the suture. Well, no, you were doing more anesthesia than you're doing <laughs> surgery. So that those hours don't count. So it, it is a little bit mm-hmm. tricky. We also have a requirement of 50 to 75 case logs that they have to submit just short synopsis of cases, the types of equipment that were used, um, how they were involved in the case, what the case was, the surgery done, that kind of thing. And then they have four seven-page case reports, which obviously are much more detailed, going into Mm -hmm. the diagnostics, the options for surgery, um, the equipment used, the nutrition, the post-op care, the rehab, and how, again, as a technician, they were involved. Mm -hmm. And then we also have um, 40 hours of continuing education that had been garnered um, in that five years of experience, and strongly encourage the CE to come from diplomats of any specialty or from a VTS of any specialty. And then, of course, two letters of reference, which I think is always kind of funny because, of course, the reference is going to be glowing because who would write a bad reference? But anyway, we have them. You'd be surprised. <laughs> they, they they do come well, through. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff sent me one that was that – was, uh... When he was the the chair, he sent it to me when I was also on the committee. He's like, "Look at this! Look at this letter of recommendation." It it, it was almost like I only work with this person a little bit, and she's not that great. Oh, so no. yeah, it was. It, uh, I, I, oh, oh yeah, dear. that was bad. <laughs> well, we always yeah. don't. So yeah, it, does happen. Happen. It, it does happen. I guess it does happen. I guess one thing I learned from <laughs> one of my colleagues was. When a student asks you for a reference, they need to ask you if they if you'd be willing to provide a positive reference for them. Yes, and I, and I always answer yes. I'd be happy to give you a positive yeah. reference. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and our skills list is, if you think of everything from the time, in, in one way, from the time the animal's induced to the time they go home, that's the surgery. The surgery oh, skills. Okay. Okay. So patient yeah. prep radiographs if it because of especially orthopedics there's a lot of specialized radiology mm-hmm. or um, in soft tissues obviously there's radiographs or contrast studies that are need to be done um, a lot of asepsis and disinfection um, a lot about just basic here we go again anatomy and physiology and how it relates yep, to the yep. cases and these are duties that you have to do both as a circulating person and as an assistant. So the two different facets. Knowing just the different cases that are going on. So for a portosystemic shunt, what does that mean? What are they going to be doing? What will be seen? What kind of equipment are they going to need? All the basic equipment that technicians are responsible for as far as you know, arthroscopic equipment and suction mm-hmm. or lasers or staplers and knowing which ones are needed in which situation, instrumentation, all the different orthopedic implants, uh, retractors, forceps, drills. When you get into joint replacement, good Lord, that's a whole, whole nother <laughs> ball game. And then how do you care for everything? You know, how do you, how do you clean everything so it doesn't get ruined? Oh, wow, yeah. And autoclaving and high-level disinfection and running the ethylene oxide sterilizer and knowing about hydrogen peroxide plasma sterilization, wrapping and packaging and shelf life and pouches and all of that care ha- that happens. Patient prep, again, knowing for a liver biopsy, how are you going to prep them compared to a urinary bladder procedure? If you're doing a knee replacement versus a hip replacement, where do you have to clip? What do you have to be aware of? Bandaging and wound management is a huge part of our recovery. 
and uh, care. There's a little bit of skills as far as pharmacy and laboratory is concerned. Pretty much the pharmacy is more like what kind of antibiotics have contraindications. Like if you're, if, if you have a young animal, you don't want to use this versus that. Um, a little bit on personal safety. So anybody using a laser needs to know you don't use alcohol. Um, anybody that runs ETO needs, it needs to be vented, you know, that kind of thing. Then mm. The up-and-coming stuff, there's some skills about stem cell therapy. That's really big in surgery now. Um, Rehabilitation, even though it's a separate specialty, if a practice doesn't have a rehab person, then the surgery techs are usually the ones that are either doing, you know, just passive range of motion or hot packing and cold packing are rehabilitation, all the way up to the underwater treadmills or other kind of exercises that they do. So it's, it's pretty encompassing. I mean, there's a lot. It's it's amazing. Every time we ask this question, uh, you know, I, I have a, a a thought in my in my head of of what you're going to list off as the things that are involved, and you know, every single time, I, I'm amazed at all of the other things that are around it that I I never even considered to be like when you said point of induction to the point of discharge mm-hmm. is your surgery yeah, time. That that, that's that blew that blew my mind. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just a, in, yeah. in just how involved it all is 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 amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One question I, I do have for somebody that is going for an oh boy, A V S T. Got it. Nailed it. Uh, for someone going for this, you know, I'm I'm thinking about who who this person is or, or what what type of technician this would be. Is this somebody that's only working in like a referral practice or can it be somebody? Can, can you do this working in general practice? I guess is the best question. Um, probably not. Because Probably not. Okay. I didn't think so. Right. The case logs that need to be submitted um, have to be quite diverse. And you can, mm, like, yeah. we wouldn't accept a spay or castration um, as a case log unless yeah. it was on a rabbit or a ferret or some exotic species, if you will. And even things like TPLOs, good Lord, some practices do seven of them in a day. But if it's the same yeah. procedure, you can't submit seven cases. If you do one right. with a tibial tuberosity arthroplasty, and if you do one with a wedge osteotomy and you do one with a TPLO, you know, those are different cruciate repairs, but you can't have set several of the same kind. So yeah. a specialty practice or a university setting is primarily where people are going to get the cases to find, to submit. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so people that have, have already gone through this application process and that are now VTSs in surgery, and, and I'll give a shout out or, or brag on a former co of mine at Tufts, Tracy Elms, who's a, a VTS in surgery. I always saw her in the halls, knew who she was, said hello, but that was behind sets of closed doors that I never went. So I had no idea what goes on back right. there. And it was always, you know, it was anesthesia that came and got the pet and anesthesia that brought the pet back. Right. So, you know, you kind of describe some of the skills that go on, but say maybe pick a procedure or two and talk about what a VTS and surgery technician would do in the OR okay. for a patient or a particular procedure right. or something right. along those lines. Which is perfect because I have a more of an OR background than a surgery ward background. The biggest thing in the OR that the surgery techs do, either as an assistant, is also setting up the cases in the room. So just, you know, every minute an animal's under anesthesia is is critical. And we don't want those to be extra minutes, extra minutes, extra minutes. So having the equipment ready and available is a huge part of what we do. And if I see that there's a beagle coming in with a femoral fracture, and I know, I'm just going to say Dr. Manley, because he was a surgeon I worked with, really is probably going to want a 2.7 plate 
for that fracture, I'm going to get the 2.7 plate out. I'm going to get his favorite drill out. I'm going to get his favorite periosteal elevator out. I'm going to have lavage material that he needs. We'll have uh, bandage material that he needs. Everything so we can just, you know, click right through it. Don't have to wait for anything to be found or, or re-sterilized, heaven forbid. So the anticipatory skills of veterinary technicians is amazing. But in surgery, it's even more so. You have to be thinking five minutes ahead of what the surgeon is doing so that you can hand them what they need. And as an assistant, like you were saying before, Dave, you might have a brand new technician graduate helping with a surgery, but they don't know that after you drill the hole, you need the, the or you need the drill guide to drill the hole and then you need the tap sleeve and the, you know, the order of materials that need to be used. Yeah. An experienced technician it's like on, on when you watch TV in human surgery. You know, they just put their hand out and you put something in it. That's right. what we do. We we know what they want and what they need, and we give it to them before they even ask. And that can yeah. take a huge amount of time off of surgery because they don't, yeah. there's no time wasted. Cool. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Before we, you know, we're we're getting beyond an hour here. <laughs> you um, said there was no time limit. <laughs> I know that. that no, no, I no. Warned you. For, for for our guests, we try to keep it around yeah. an hour just to not take too much of their oh, time. No. But <laughs> an hour is a very soft limit. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that we haven't brought up or, or asked you about today that you want to bring up and, and uh, get out to our caffeinators? Um, not really. We kind of touched on it, but the, the biggest challenge with the surgery specialty is is the anesthesia component. Like I said, in mm-hmm. a lot of practices, it is one person doing both of those jobs. Obviously not scrubbing in and running anesthesia at the same time, but anesthesia is so critical. And firmly believe that a dedicated person needs to be the anesthetist and you shouldn't have somebody splitting themselves between two or three different jobs and don't our animals deserve that. So we, we, I would like to see them working more towards a person doing the monitoring, running the anesthesia, and then another person doing the surgery part. And for people who want to apply for this specialty, that's really what has to happen. I understand it's not easy because of shortages and, and what have you, but that's probably one of the biggest challenges are our people find is they spend too much time doing anesthesia. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Terry, if you don't mind, take a minute and brag on a- sure. AVST a little bit. Like how many members currently do you have? How many applicants do you guys get in a year? Mm-hmm. And, and then what also would you want prospective applicants that might be listening and say, maybe actually I want to do that. Mm-hmm. What would you want them to know? But give give your people, you have the microphone, <laughs> right. give, your, give your people some love and, and yes. brag about them. We, we're pretty small yet. We have about 33 members and we have anywhere from two to nine applicants per year. And I, I would be interested to know if all the other academies are finding the same thing that with the pandemic, the, the applicant numbers have really dropped because people just don't have time to track everything that they're doing the way the application requires. So I'm hoping that that will turn around. We have our general meeting at the ACVS Summit, which again, for two years has been canceled due to the pandemic. So we had an online meeting last year, which wasn't greatly attended, but that's not to be unexpected. And we have all of our members super technicians. Some are in academics, some are in private practice, some are at universities. Many, many, many of them have published things. Most of us have spoken at local, state, and internet, or excuse me, local, national, and international conferences. So they're just a wealth of information. So it's a really great group of 
of people. There are, I think, Stephen, Stephen Frederick. He's our sole male representative in the Surgery Tech Academy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Stephen. Um, (laughs) And as far as prospective applicants, I said, again, I don't want to keep bringing up the whole NAFTA thing, but when I was the president and we were working with the specialties, I said, you can't take the special out of specialty. It's not meant Mm. to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So yes, I know the application is a lot of work. Yes, I know you have to do a lot of details. That's the point. If you want to be good, that's what you have to do. So it's not a fly by night. None of the academies have applications that are easy, that are not time consuming, that are not labor intensive, (laughs) but that's why you get a year to do it because you need a year. And the test is hard because you're supposed to be an expert. So if, if you don't pass the test, we're not saying you can't ever pass it, but you weren't prepared this time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's definitely something it's it's not meant to let people in. It's meant to keep people out. And, yeah. and I know that's it's believe me, it's as hard to say as it is to hear. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's it's supposed to be that level of a process. Right. It just exactly. is. Or, or, mm-hmm. or otherwise, you're just diluting it down. Yep. And then those people that are going to depend on you to have that level of knowledge, education, skills, you're not going to be able to come through and they're not going to rely on you. And it's just, it's a, it's a snowball. Right. They don't want to start. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a person or a topic now that you've been through this process <laughs> of being uh, at the, on the vet tech cafe, In the hot seat. A person, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a person or a topic that you would like us to cover or, or interview in a future episode. I can't really think of a topic, but I, I did have a couple of names and I don't, sometimes people don't like to go to the past, you know, let's not look behind us. Let's just look to the future and see where we're going and what have you. But if there's ever a, a desire for a more historical perspective on the profession and things we've learned, um, Pat Navarre, who uh, was a large animal surgery technician at Purdue, and Carlene Decker, who was an instructor at um, Parkland College in Illinois, they were both instrumental in the beginning years of NAFTA and served that organization mm. for many, many years. Pat was the executive director and Carlene was the news, the journal editor. But they had okay. done, they did many, many studies on utilization and breaking it down into dollar signs. If you have a tech, they can generate this much income, then you can pay them this much money. I mean, very, and I know mm-hmm. other people have done that since, and obviously this information sure. was, was in the early 2000s and in the late 90s, but um, they have very good perspective on on the history of the profession, and they have a lot to offer if that kind of information was ever desired. Yeah, absolutely. But other absolutely. than that- Thank you. I, I, after looking at your list of people, there were quite a few names that I did recognize um, <laughs> that I would have said. So I can't really think of any, yeah. anybody else. <laughs> you got the big ones. No, we, we, we'd actually love to have the, the historical part of NAFTA yeah. because we, we try, you know, we've done it for a couple of years now with Ed Carlson. I think it's going to be a goal of ours each year to, to have an episode with the, the current sitting president of NAFTA kind of like a state of the profession episode, if you will. Um, And so I think it would be really cool to have some of that historical context as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So, so thank you for that. All right, Terry, now it's time for your, (laughs) would you rather question? Are you ready? As long as you're ready for yours. Yes. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. We're going to get one too. All right. Although I already know the answer for one of you. I think Jeff already gave me his answer without even knowing he did. But anyway. Oh boy. (laughs) 
All right. Would you rather get chills that make your hair stand on end or that drop in your stomach like you're in a roller coaster of impending doom? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> um, chills that make my hair stand on end. I think. And what would make your hair stand on end? Um, I'm trying, well, see, let's see. Something like seeing something really scary, like seeing a ghost yeah. or something like that, because it would happen and then you're done. But if impending mm. doom, it's like it hasn't hit you yet. It's going to come yeah. at some point and then it's, you're stuck in that it's, limbo it's, of doom. It's still pending. Yes, yes. I think I think both of these happen in the can happen in the same instance yes. where you get that drop in your stomach of impending doom, and then when the yes. impending doom shows up, <laughs> yeah. then your hair yeah. stands on end. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going for the short term, minimal kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. I, I like it. I like it. I like it. All right. Now, now we're ready yes. for ours. Okay. Yeah. So this is a three a three for would you rather? But because oh, okay. Okay. Wisconsin is who we are, would you rather go to a Packer game at Lambeau? A Brewer game at American Family Field, or a Bucks game at Pfizer Forum. Ooh, I have well, my not answer. the Bucks. Yeah, I said that's what I said. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a huge basketball fan. I am a I am a bigger baseball fan than okay. I am a football fan. Mm-hmm. As historical and as iconic as Lambeau Field is, I would still rather go to the baseball game, mm-hmm. mostly because I hate the cold yeah. and I know that the Brewers game would be warmer than a Packer game. Yes. Well, and it used to be yeah. called Miller Park. They just recently right. changed it. Right. Right. But it has the retractable roof. And right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and every yeah. professional I remember sport. when that was getting built. That, yeah. Wasn't there a huge accident there I where there a crane was, fell yeah. over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say for me, I mean, it's it, I will always choose Lambeau yeah. <laughs> Field. And I, w- I was just there in October for, for the Washington game. Perfect. And I've been to a game at Miller Park. Mm-hmm. It Well, when it was right. Miller Park. Right. And it was awesome. I loved every home run when uh, the guy would go down the slide yep. and <laughs> the sausage races. Yes. I love it all. Um, and... I'm not I'm not a huge basketball fan, so some but part of me would be like I've I've been to Miller Park, I've been to Lambeau Field, maybe it would be a Bucks game, but if I'm going to Wisconsin, it's going to be Lambeau Field. There you go. <laughs> At any time, and honestly, as 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 opposite as I can be from Dave, I want it to be December. Yes. I want it to be cold. Frozen tundra. I, I there want, you go. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I want the full experience. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we we are opposites in in terms yes. of our our weather preferences. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Good. Well, Terry, thank you so much for for your time and for uh, for doing this on short notice, Caffeinators. We had a, a cancellation. We were actually going to push this episode back a week, and, and we got in touch with Terry, and she was gung-ho to do this on short notice. So we really, really appreciate that, and we're able to get this out on time. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for, for the conversation and, um, again, being ready on short notice. we I really, really enjoyed it. I, yeah, again, I did too. Like, you know, surgical technicians, when I think about them, I think about my time at Tufts. That's really the only time I've worked with VTS level surgery techs. And they were behind a wall. I never got to see what they did. Yeah. So it's 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 really cool to hear, you know, what goes on and, and you know, what they do, what they have to know. So really, really enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. You. No, I loved I'm so grateful that Heidi was too busy because <laughs> <laughs> she's such a gung-ho girl anyway she's always busy but um i 
I love my profession and I, I always will. And I particularly love surgery, obviously, and would never shy away from any opportunity to, to help the profession or to promote um, specialties of any kind. So thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. All right, caffeinators. Well, it was great to see you guys again. Hope you guys are well. Take care. And we will see you back at the cafe again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.